Bismillahirrahmanirrahim In the name of Allah, most gracious, ever merciful Assalamu alaikum May peace be with you all uh, Thank you for joining us again for another episode of the Science Hour This is a live Science Hour on the Voice of Islam radio uh, We're live from Alton in Hampshire Which is the uh, site of the annual gathering of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community in the United Kingdom uh, So a warm welcome to you all um, some of you may be traveling in onto site this morning, so we hope you're having a pleasant journey uh, on your way in. I'm joined uh, by a number of our regular panelists. Uh, first, I've got Dr. Naveed Malik. He is a uh, director of science uh, for a secondary school uh, in London, uh, and he's had a, a training in physics. Uh, we've got uh, Dr. Adil Bajwa. He's a consultant surgeon and another regular panelist on the Science Hour. So, Assalamualaikum, welcome to you both. And also, Dr. Shakil Saab, who's a regular on the Voice of Islam radio as well, and a, a consultant psychiatrist, senior consultant. Zakala, thank you for, for joining us uh, this morning. Um, so, this is, is going to be a two-hour uh, show. Uh, in the first half, uh, we'll be discussing one of the talks that was presented yesterday. Uh, by Dr. Fahim Yunus from the USA. He spoke on the scientific evidence uh, on the existence of God, uh, which we'll spend the first portion of this program discussing. And then uh, in the second part, uh, Dr. Naveen Waliksab will be uh, discussing the Holy Quran and science and aspects of that. So, uh, again, a warm welcome to you all. Uh, before we get down to the science, it is a Sunday morning, so I think we should have a, a sort of gentle introduction into the show. And uh, you, you've been attending the annual gatherings uh, from, for many years in the, in the UK. And it's probably good just to have a, a short discussion about any memorable experiences uh, of the Jalsa. And uh, I mean, the Jalsa, the annual gathering of the community has been going on for many decades, over 100 years. But in the UK, it's probably the last 30 or 40 years. And, and I know you, you have been attending for, for many years. So um, it's an interesting experience. We have many thousands. Uh, for the listeners who are not aware of what, what the, the annual gathering is, it's, um, it has, you know, we have literally thousands of MD Muslims from all over the country and, and from overseas coming. Um, and uh, maybe... Well, I mean, yes. I mean, just to keep it contemporary in terms of yes, yesterday, it was great to hear from the, the indigenous group that come from Canada. It was really nice to see them and see how they were, you know, why they found this Jelsa special. They'd obviously had a history of uh, difficulties in their own country, you know, historical. I'm sure the current you know, government is not. not you know, pursuing them too badly but you know obviously the indigenous people of America have lost a lot uh, and they certainly could see that in in this gathering they were you know part of it you know as, a, as they shared something and so I quite really enjoyed them especially at the end they did this um, uh, I don't know this calling sign it was like a slogan I don't know I mean it would be great to get them on on, on a show and see what that means whether it was a language whether it meant something but I that really connected. You can see in the crowd as well. It connected because, you know, the the counter slogans, the nare, were you know, came quite a lot afterwards. So I really enjoyed that. Fantastic. Yes, and uh, picking up on this uh, point that Adil has made, um, in fact, we have uh, guest speakers 
from all sorts of backgrounds, don't we? Uh, from political backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds, different religions, and different um, indigenous populations. So here was an example of the local population or the indigenous population of the North America. But the purpose of the annual Ahmadiyya Convention is to unite mankind and to help them remember that in the unity of the human race is also the recognition of the one or the unity of our creator. And this is the philosophy based on which this annual convention was founded or started by the founder of the Ahmadiyya movement, the promised Messiah, may peace be on him. So it is always a beautiful experience. People who have been Ahmadis and know each other but don't meet uh, during the year, then they get together. But then you get to meet so many different people from different backgrounds. And you would have heard, I'm sure, that everyone uh, values this uh, coming together of different people in this. And that, that, is, that sense of brotherhood is beautiful. Absolutely. And sisterhood. And sisterhood. <laughs> right. So I perhaps have a more mundane uh, um, example of that because unfortunately um, what happened on, um, it, was, it was Thursday, I got uh, bitten by a mysterious um, insect, we think which caused a massive swelling around my eye area um, and I was on antihistamines and, and I had to listen in to um, Jalsa and the speeches um, over my laptop at home so I, I, I would call that a memorable experience uh, I think <laughs> but I think also um, I felt um, a kind of a, a real sadness uh, not physically being here because um, I think once you're within the walls of uh, Hadikat al-Mahdi, uh, something special happens. Um, th there is a unity of purpose. Um, and you can see it in the eyes. You can see it in the smiles. Uh, and that really, really deeply affects you. Uh, and to me, that highlighted why the Prophet ﷺ initiated Jalsa and the importance of actually physically being here uh, because you know the last uh, two days of my experience weren't great you know I can listen in on everything by broadcast and speech but it's not the same as you physically being here amongst the people um, so that would be my contribution thank you Navid. thank you for making an effort this morning uh, I can see it's quite a swelling uh, on your oh, face is it so still you bad I, no, thought, no. It, I yeah. thought it was okay it's you know? good. <laughs> 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 but thank you, thank you for making the effort, and on all, on all of you for, for for coming this morning. And um, yeah, no, I think that was a, a really nice introduction to to, to the annual gathering. Um, and one of the talks yesterday was by uh, Dr. Fahim Yunus. He was the, he is the uh, vice president of the USA chapter. And actually, just uh, before we move on, so the annual gathering takes place in many different countries across the world. And um, if you're listening in and you'd like to attend uh, next year's, you, you'd be very welcome to. You can certainly um, apply to, 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 to uh, be a big guest and we'd, like, we'd love to host you um, in, in, uh, in future years. So Dr. Fahim Yunus, he spoke on the topic of uh, scientific proofs of the existence of God. And it was a quite inspiring uh, talk. And uh, it it had two two parts to it. I feel one one p aspect was <coughs> the uh, 
evidences, some evidences from the Holy Quran relating to the existence of God. And then uh, the second bit was a bit of a twist, and I think we'll, we'll probably come to that uh, uh, towards the end of our discussion. But let's uh, begin with the, 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 the talk itself. Uh, he initially set out in his introductory remarks about how the Holy Quran has been preserved, how it's been unchanged over the centuries. So since its uh, first revelation to the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of uh, God be upon him, uh, in the seventh century, it mentioned that it has been um, unchanged. And it's not that, you know, as part of his speech, he talked about scientific proofs, evidences found in the Holy Quran. The, the Holy Quran has not been changed so that they match sort of contemporary discoveries. It's been unchanged. I don't know if anyone wants to speak a bit about the preservation of the Holy Quran and the evidences of how the Holy Quran is preserved. Um, yes, just to uh, mention a recent finding that has now been displayed. This is a copy of the Holy Quran which has been um, dated back by the process of carbon dating to uh, the first or second decade after the life of uh, Holy Prophet Muhammad, may peace be on him. And the wording of that Quran is exactly the same as the wording of all the millions of copies of Quran that are published these days around the world. And that is by itself, this one example is a very strong evidence that the text that we read in any book that you buy from anywhere in the world of the Holy Quran is the same as was initially compiled after the revelations were completed to the Prophet of Islam. May peace be on him. Absolutely. And I mean, I mean there's a, there's a you know, different aspect of the pres preservation as well as it reminds you that this is a text for all time. Um, and when you start, you know, as on this topic, we're talking about the scientific proofs. I mean, a lot of the scientific advancement, if you if you look at when it's occurred, you know, it's not sort of a steady process. It's a, an accumulative process. And actually, there's, there's almost like this is a period of acceleration. You know, so much is coming together very, very quickly. You know, and this is, you know, facilitated by the progress in human civilization. You know, in, you know, suddenly things become available that allow you to make progress very quickly. You know, like the printing press, like computers, like electricity. All these things have come together very quickly. So you've got to put the verses that were discussed into a context that they've been revealed for all time. And when they were initially revealed, they were revealed to, you know, nomads in, in the desert where... You know that level of learning was inc incredibly primitive, so <coughs> you know that's that, that's important because some people would, uh, you know, you know, might criticise some of these verses in the Quran and say, why are they not more specific? You know, specific to scientific phenomenon. Actually, I th I would say that they are specific when you del delve deep into the Arabic roots. There is that hidden in there, but it's also the magic of the verses are that they, you know, they mean something to people of all time. Um, the other point, I'll just just as an introductory point, it was it was actually great to have that topic in the jalsa for science coming into the forefront uh, again. 
Um, and you know, we'll we'll discuss this later about the golden era of Islam and how important, you know, generally these, you know, science and philosophy and rational thought is in Islam. How it's, you know, how it's one of the same, you know, branches from the same tree. So it was great to have that talk, and it, it's not unique. I mean, I remember um, you talk about examples of of Jalsa. One of my most important examples was when Khalifa Rabid the fourth Caliph of the Amdi Muslim community launched a book called Revelation, Rationality, Knowledge and Truth, which covers all these topics. And you know, for many of us, and certainly for me, it was a, a seminal moment in my understanding of you know many things. Yeah, I just to just bounce off uh, Shaquille Saab's um, uh, mention of the, the manuscripts being found and so on. Um, I, uh, some of us might have done that already, but there was an exhibition in Birmingham um, a few years back when they found uh, one of these parchments, essentially, and I believe it was on goat skin. And it was in, I don't know, an attic somewhere, and a PhD researcher found it. And it was remarkable. Um, as far as I remember um, looking at it, I think it was Surah Yasin. And to be able to actually, because it's not the complete the Holy Quran, there are bits of it which are found. And just to be able to read that and recognize that uh, about 14, 13 years, 100 years later, because that particular parchment was dated to around the time of the Holy Prophet, وسلم, peace be upon him, which means that the animal um, to which that skin belonged to would have possibly been alive at the time of the Holy Prophet. And what we have to remember is that the there are many, many different uh, sects and communities uh, within Islam, uh, and they disagree about quite a few things, some really fundamental as well. However, there is no disagreement about the Quran, and this is remarkable. I don't think there is any other book of scripture or any other book perhaps which is thousand plus years old where there is no controversy, there's no difference of opinion about like this word was in there or this bit was added later uh, or there was a massive amount of interpretation by the scholars which came and that added to the Quran. There is no dispute. So the evidence is there um, right in front of us because Islam is a, a religion which is much more recent than many of the other re religions in, uh, that we that we know of. And very clearly it's been documented that the Holy Quran is one. And that is a massive, massive point because with, for, when we talk about validity of other religions and through different lenses, the first point always is, is the text original? Was it said, was it related by the prophet? As it, as it and do we have that as it was? Is it authentic? Um, and I think only the Holy Quran holds that power that that's what um, was revealed to the Prophet Muhammad peace be upon him and we believe that was direct revelation from God that is powerful there is no argument about that and then we can say that this is what we mean and there is no ambiguity about if it was there are different versions of it or you know different uh, writings of it and so on so I think that's remarkable in itself and it's evident in history wonderful wonderful points please and it is also interesting that if we 
study and make a comparison of the different scriptures that have been revealed, so the Old Testament, the New Testament, the Quran, and some Ved writings. Holy Quran is the only holy scripture that has the revelation included in it by God that God will protect this writing. And it by no means, in our eyes, uh, undermines the value of the or the importance of the earlier scriptures. The only thing this reflects to a Muslim is that the earlier versions were still work in prog progress by God and the earlier teachings were time limited and also meant for the local population of where the founding prophet was. But the Holy Quran has made the claim that now the guidance from God has been completed and that is why the promise that it will be preserved for the time to come until the end of the human race and on uh, one other point about the uh, the scientific validity of uh, our approach to religion in fact I would very uh, confidently say that this is a distinction that has been brought into uh, Islamic understanding by the promised Messiah may peace be on him he has very clearly said that if rationality or um, correct scientific understanding of the processes of nature and religious principles is not understood, then you are uh, undermining the primary value of what religion is about. And um, unfortunately, a lot of other perspectives of religion do not take this point in very seriously and they can sometimes emphasize more on the dogma of religion rather than a scientific and rational understanding of how it is meant to benefit the people who follow these principles. Wonderful points. No, that's great. Thank you very much. Just to add, so I think you, you both referred also to the Birmingham manuscript which was a s section of the Holy Quran. There was or there is many other complete text and I think Dr. Fahim mentioned the complete text in the Topkapi Palace in Istanbul. That was one another example where people can go and actually see uh, a very early um, uh, copy of the Holy Quran. He, in his introduction, he went on to talk about the relationship between science and religion. And uh, as we know, people sometimes believe that science and religion are at complete odds. Just wondering um, if you could just discuss this point and how he. Uh, introduced the topic of science and religion from an Islamic perspective? Um, I would say that as an Ahmadi Muslim, and just based on the point that I've made, how we are made to understand about religion, in fact, the, it, it's the other way around. We understand science, or the more we understand nature through our scientific endeavor, the more we realize that religion and science are very compatible to e with each other. Um, nature being the work of God and religious guidance being the word of God. And therefore it is not a surprise that they are in harmony with each other. Um, and there are several mentions of various scientific principles in the Holy Quran and we probably will be touching on some of them later in these programs. And we have now realized through scientific discoveries in the last one or two centuries that in fact these were alluded to or mentioned in one way or another in this holy scripture. 
So for us as Ahmadi Muslims, as, as the followers of the promised Messiah, salam, uh, the purpose of who was to uh, revive the true principles of the teachings of Islam, there is no doubt that the work of God and the word of God are in complete harmony and that is the only way to benefit from religion. Yeah, I mean, I would <coughs> reiterate that point. I mean, there cannot be a contradiction between the work of God and the, you know, the word of God. If there was, then you would, you know, you'd, you might look elsewhere for maybe this isn't the, you know, the word of God. But we are blessed because we are, you know, you know, we are in this community where absolutely there is you know this complete harmony they are one of their branches of the same tree you know and when we go through some of these verses this is further reiterated by the fact that the scientific phenomena all, all, always seem to reflect spiritual phenomena so it's not just alluding to scientific phenomena for the sake of things you know when you reflect on those phenomena there's something about about that process where you can you know reflect on the spiritual aspect and say you know those laws that apply in science also apply in the sort of the moral the spiritual world so you know yeah. they're, they're one of the same things yeah um, and just coming back to um, Dr. Fahim's uh, Eunice's uh, talk um, what I really liked was um, it was addressed to uh, really the youth, I would say, of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community and, and, and the parents. Um, and he, he, he started, I think, his speech by saying that, um, you know, bef this, by relaying Huzu's message that before, uh, you know, rather than us spending all our efforts towards trying to somehow convince atheists, we must turn our attention towards our own kids and teach them the true beauty of Islam. And I think his, his speech was very, very much directed. His audience was the youth of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community and, of course, beyond who might listen and, and, and who might learn from that. Um, so, and he relayed um, examples, uh, which, which Dr. Shakir was talking about. Uh, so he went, um, he quoted from Surah Ambiya, where um, the Holy Quran talks about the alternation of the night and the day, the creation of uh, the planetary bodies. And the fact that um, in the Holy Quran says that they are moving, explicitly says that they're moving, uh, which is not um, 1400 years ago, that was not the understanding uh, of, of uh, what we had of our solar system. Uh, he talked about Surah Yasin uh, with the creation of pairs and pairs existing uh, um, where we, uh, such pairs existing which we don't know of. So not just the male and the female, uh, and he uh, related that to the example of matter and antimatter. So he he gave a quick survey of, of such verses. Can you mention the verse itself? That one. The, the, the maybe so surah. Do, do you Yassin, have that? Yeah, I've got it here. Yeah. Surah Yasin, verse thirty-seven. Holy is he who has created all things in pairs of of what the earth grows and of themselves and of what they know not. So. Uh, you know, just to sort of deep dive into that, Dr. Qureshi was talking about what they know not, alluding to the fact that, you know, the more knowledge that we've gained about mm. science and physics in particular, and quantum physics, everything seems to be in pairs. You know, matter, antimatter, positive, negative, you know, you know spin, 
right sided spin left sided spin um, that's the design of the universe and you know you an argument I might put to an atheist is you know what what you know why would that you know how why would you expect that does it need to be pairs it could be anything really but there seems to be a consistency and that also just I think I when I'm reading the verse it just also reflects mm. you know your spiritual side so what are the pairs I mean the greatest example is marriage you know we have that's the pair that I think about and you know it's a union of you know it's a spiritual union as well isn't it it's a companionship it's your you know I would say I'll give you the most important companionship you have and the pair they sort of yeah. reflect each other aren't they it's not yes, two of the same things are they there's there's definitely co a compliment there yes. just like there's that compliment in science and this is I think these are the beauty of these verses this really you know emphasizes the divine nature of these verses the miracle is not just that it's talking about phenomenon centuries before it, it should do it's about it's reflecting about your daily existence and your daily and it elevates these verses to the next level that's right i, I think that point um deal which you made was really really important because it's one of the ways where uh, the holy quran and um, the physical sciences and nature inform each other uh, because in the Holy Quran there's a reason that um, physical phenomena are mentioned uh, it's not just uh, it's, it's not really I would say because the Holy Quran I wouldn't say is, is a textbook for science that's not its purpose um, but the, the Holy Quran um, is there to teach us moral lessons and it draws upon the symmetry which exists between the natural world and the moral universe and the spiritual world so it, there's a reason um, and real unity and symmetry and beauty uh, behind creation that we would see what, whatever is happening in the universe and we'll learn from it. It will draw us closer to God and we'll, we can draw lessons for it like um, Adil was talking about, uh, about pairs and that that's something we can take into our own moral universe and understand. There's a reason behind every verse uh, of the Holy Quran there. Um, that is a very important point and Jazakallah for making that point that um, I, I remember actually a little funny story from my own family my daughter in her school years sometimes used to ask me if this is this, uh, scientific information mentioned in the Quran why isn't it described in detail mm -hmm. <laughs> you know so but you're, you're very right that the uh, Quran is not a book of science the purpose of mentioning scientific principles is to help us reflect on the natural creation and therefore to be able to start relating to the creator of the natural principles which is God and through that uh, hopefully then we reflect on our being and spiritually develop ourselves through this relationship with God this is the reason for why Quran touches on those scientific principles and of course the practical value of it is that if we are natural beings and if we are expected to live in a physical world then we will automatically be thinking about the, the nature around us to improve our lives and that is the only way we will also begin to relate to the creator of all these phenomena around us and then make our spiritual journey towards that being and the, the, there's a very 
uh, the beautiful intertwining relationship, like um, Navid Saab has mentioned, between the physical existence and the spiritual existence. And it's not just a hocus pocus statement. Frankly, the scientists now tell us that out of the total creation in the universe, the physical matter that we see and observe is only 5% or less. The rest is dark matter and dark energy. So the 95% plus we still do not see. It's not tangible for us. So it exists somewhere in the realm of uh, abstract or metaphysical realm. And who knows when our scientific understanding about this uh, rest of the existence improves, we begin to understand the nature of the creator as well in a better way. So, yeah, we can, it can only um, detect its gravitational <laughs> effects, but it doesn't seem, when we're talking about dark matter, uh, and we can see that there must be something there which is affecting um, gravity and the, thus the speeds and velocities of different stars, but what is it doesn't inter seem to interact with light at all or any other electromagnetic radiation, and it's, it's, it's a, like a big mystery right. uh, and another uh, layer behind creation. <coughs> Uh, which Allah has created and an inspiration for physicists actually and, and scientists and the young ones coming up that they're big questions which are there to answer and if I may use this as a segue onto if, if you don't mind um, to, to a, a question which arose in my mind when I was listening to the speech because um, up till now we've been talking about scientific phenomena which um, uh, have been discovered and then we look back at the Holy Quran and see them being mentioned. Uh, we might call that a retrospective look. Um, do we think, um, the question which really arose in my mind was that, can this be reversed? Can the Holy Quran um, be uh, used prospectively like when we are studying the Holy Quran? Can it give us guidance? Navid, can I just interject here? I think this probably would be better covered in the second part of the show. If possible, you, you'll be surprised. <laughs> <laughs> but but uh, I suppose to get, give a bit of um, a, a teaser, teaser yes. into this. I think yes. that is also really important for um, all the all the Ahmadi Muslims, the young researchers, to think about that the Holy Quran. And we, we talked about their their symmetries between um, the the religious teachings in the Holy Quran and the physical world. Um, and there's mentions of physical phenomena within the Holy Quran and that should be used as an inspiration for us yes. so I think uh, so we, we we've been discussing uh, for quite a while now the Dr. Fahim's talk I think it's probably time to go for a, a short break and um, so just just for the uh, listeners who've just joined us we've been discussing Dr. Fahim's talk um, which he delivered at the annual gathering of the MD Muslim Association UK uh, on the topic of scientific evidences uh, of, uh, fr of from the Holy Quran about God and uh, we will just take a, a short break uh, do stay with us and we'll be back uh, shortly Listening to the Voice of Islam Radio. Broadcasting on DAB and via the internet 24 hours a day. Assalamu alaikum, may peace be with you. Welcome back 
to a live episode of the Science Hour from the annual gathering of the Ahmadiyya Muslim Association United Kingdom. We're here in Alton, Hampshire and in the first part of the show we've been discussing uh, Dr. Fahim Yunus's talk uh, which he delivered yesterday on the topic of the scientific evidences uh, of the uh, existence of God from, from the Holy Quran and uh, we spoke about a number of uh, different points about how the Holy Quran has been preserved and the importance of that spoke about the relationship of science and religion and then spoke about a few of the verses that talks that um, in 7th century Arabia you know, 1400 years many many centuries before these scientific phenomena were discovered were uh, revealed to the Holy Prophet Muhammad may peace be upon him uh, aspects and ideas like planetary motion and also uh, we spoke about uh, the different types of pairs that are found in nature uh, and some that have obviously has been discovered more recently matter antimatter proton neutron all in the last hundred years or so there were then we spoke about which is a really important point about the importance of the holy quran not just being a scientific textbook being a bunch of scientists there or, or have those who have a, a strong interest in science it was good that you did uh, bring out the fact that, that this the Holy Quran is a spiritual guide uh, first and foremost uh, the scientific evidences there are important uh, they they serve a very important purpose but the spiritual message is, is crucial as well and um, many of the verses have both uh, an explanation from a scientific perspective but also most importantly a spiritual point of view also so turning back to uh, Dr. Fahim's talk, uh, he spoke about many topics. He talked about uh, the depth of the ocean, he spoke about black holes, he spoke about uh, genetics. What is um, anyone would, would anyone like to refer to any of the, the verses? And uh, for example, the uh, the reference to the, the um, there's a verse in chapter four verse 120 and it speaks about the possibility in the future times that the humans begin to alter or interfere with the natural principles God's creation now these days through our processes like genetic engineering and genetically modified food products we are doing exactly that or cloning species so this has been also a subject of debate within the Ahmadiyya Muslim community as to how do we understand it and where are the boundaries. And the, our spiritual leader, the Khalifa of Islam, uh, Hazrat Mirza Masroor Ahmed, may Allah be his helper, he's guided us in a very beautiful and balanced way in this matter. And he says that as long as there is an attempt uh, to understand the nature and the principles for health reasons, for benefiting mankind in any possible way, then that kind of scientific experimentation and enterprise is justifiable. But the moment it becomes a business enterprise, the moment it becomes an interference for the sake of it or for the sake of some other vested interest, uh, then it is a very dangerous territory. 
and it can be more damaging and that would not be permissible according to the teachings of Islam. So I thought that that was a very good way for us as scientists to keep in mind as to how far and which direction our scientific experimentation can go. So it provides some sort of ethical framework for us, uh, some boundaries beyond which we ought not to go in terms of interfering with the That religion. is correct. And um, isn't it true that we have seen damaging uh, consequences of our scientific experimentation? I mean, look at the armament industry mm -hmm. and the destruction and the misery and suffering that it costs. It has devastated cities after cities, even in the last two decades of our lives. All of us have seen this happen around the world. And similarly, some of the, uh, I should say being a doctor, but medical uh, uh, interventions have been more damaging than beneficial. Um, so you have to have the benefit of the human being uh, in mind when you are experimenting with science. Absolutely. I mean, I think w when you look at all these verses, <coughs> you know, I'm sure that there is a deeper wisdom as to why certain phenomena are mentioned and certain phenomena are not. I think one thing that they're not designed to do is to be, uh, we're talking about the detail in the verses, you know, there's a limit to the detail. And I think partly this is because Allah, you know, in the many verses of the Holy Quran instructs the believers to go and study yourself. And there's signs and the spiritual signs, but there's also the sign is that there is good evidence that God should exist. Okay, but it does fall short of a clear manifestation of God's power. We mentioned this in previous episodes as well. You know, an example would be, you know, God could have given such specific detail in these verses where there would be absolutely no doubt to anyone reading it that this is you know the w w word of God you know very specific formula or something like that um, but or even the Holy Quran I think Allah says that he could uh, manifest his specific signs yes specific signs but, but elsewhere but, but, but that's yeah. not the principle of the Quran elsewhere in the Quran you know there's a verse that we, we've mentioned before in the, on these shows addressing the disbelievers where the disbelievers you know God rhetorically says well, are they waiting that I should come in the clouds with the angels and the matter will be decided so you know the disbelievers there's a part of them that they want something supernatural something so obvious to arrive but this this is not the purpose of life the purpose is to try you which of you is best in deeds you know you've got to go and put your own effort in and you know follow the truth follow righteousness this is a book for the righteous so this is the same principle that applies to these verses there is depth there is specificity you know there's great power but you've got to delve into it and you've got to interpret it so all these verses, you know, are designed to do that, but that there is a limit, and that limit is not that you will discover God with certainty through simply studying science. And this is what Dr. Fahim mentioned in the second part of his talk. He said, "What what's the next step?" Well, the next step is, you know, is designed by God Himself. It's not for us to, you know, discover God through our own means, as as you know, as you know, as creation uh, uh, just sorry to interrupt just before you go on to that and I think that's we, we need to spend some time on that just before we go on there was a in, very interesting quote he gave uh, by Werner Heisenberg yes. which was um, uh, at least attributed to Werner Heisenberg the first gulp from the glass of natural sciences will turn you into an atheist but at the bottom of the glass God is waiting for you 
so he did elaborate on this point yeah uh, it's partial partial knowledge isn't it and and arrogance <coughs> so that's what all of us uh, have to be really really um, on, on guard against uh, sometimes people acquire a certain level of knowledge sometimes young people as well where they come across certain superficial arguments um, against the existence of god for example or against islam or religion and because of the superficiality of the knowledge um, they think that no i've understood it better than anyone else and having taken one gulp and sometimes scientists also do that uh, having studied the universe and become experts uh, at one thing for example and that's how science works these days you have to be highly specialized um, we uh, we become arrogant and and we think yeah no i i know everything uh, i know you know there sh- surely there's no god because i've discovered the mechanism for this particular protein and how that interacts with that thing uh, and that's i think that what that quote is about that uh, don't be quick to judge don't be arrogant it takes a long, long time and depth of wisdom and humility uh to a- actually make a you know to for us to actually acknowledge that we might even begin to know something and he also mentioned it in relation to interpreting scripture as well mm. don't be superficial in your in, because that can also be very risky when you're interpreting the holy quran or understanding the holy quran you That's need why, I mean, any any knowledge there's there's depth you've got to you know you got to go into it and you got to put it into a context you know you know it's not so it's never going to be so obvious that you read it and suddenly you you know expect that it gives you definitive proof of god really I mean this is what Dr Yunus went on to talk about in the second half the pathway to god is defined by god himself and it's your own personal spiritual struggle um it's the you know and he the example he gave us prayer yeah he, he cited the example of the child crying that was the theme one of the right themes at the beginning. right at the beginning right at the and beginning. he kind of tied that in it's very nice the way yeah, in which he, he tied, tied these messages throughout yeah. his talk but he spoke about the how a child cries for food um but he has he keeps on crying because he knows that his mother will provide the food i so think what he was saying yeah. is that when a baby cries now the baby is hungry and the baby cannot express that i'm hungry please give me food give me milk but somehow through that cry the mother hears it and the mechanism triggers that the nervous system the pituitary gland he referred to secretes the hormones that brings the the process of the milk being generated from the chest of the woman the mother and this connection between the physical process of a child being hungry and crying and uh, a disconnected human being who is the mother the connection can only be understood at a some kind of a metaphysical level triggers the nervous system response in and the other human being the mother and the milk is generated and the child is fed thus so he was il- illustrating this as an example of the relationship between the physical and the metaphysical yes. and um, going back to the original point that that arrogance thing about gaining some partial knowledge and beginning to believe that we know it all now we all as um, followers of or students of science we know that uh, anything that we understand or the theories of science that we have at a certain time they are worked upon and improved over the years so in my medical profession the the treatments that we believed were relevant to a certain condition 10 years ago have been reformed and changed and some of them have been actually found that they were doing more harm than good so this is also a very clear example 
that at no stage the human mind, which is only a product of the creation, can be complete enough in its knowledge to understand and match the wisdom of the creator of the nature and ourselves. So I think that relationship we need to keep in mind and we tend to forget this. We have some wealth and we think we are more powerful people in the world or we have some strength or we have some knowledge and it, it brings that arrogance very quickly and that's a very dangerous or a risky pathway to take. No, absolutely, absolutely. This, uh, this idea of, of struggling, I mean we understand this very much in our, in our own fields, if we're trying to understand something or trying to develop a better, a better understanding of, of our fields of study, then there needs to be a struggle, there needs to be um, effort made and um, you know, coming back to that um, uh, point, uh, the quote Werner Heisenberg about digging deeper, going to the bottom of the glass, struggling, trying to understand fully. <coughs> Can I uh, give you another beautiful yeah. example that he quoted yesterday in his yeah. speech, Dr. Yunus? Um, he spoke uh, that um, asking us to explain God and the whole of the creation is the same thing like asking a fetus that is still being forming in the uterus of the mother to say that where is your mother or if if that fetus says I can't see my mother will that be an argument that the mother does not exist no because the domain in which that fetus exists is very limited in the same way the domain our mind lives is very limited in contrast to the total wisdom and omnipotence of the one who created the whole universe. So I found that analogy very beautiful. Absolutely, absolutely. He, he gave some examples of, of I mean, we spoke about the, 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 he spoke about the science of prayer. Yeah, the science of prayer and this idea um, that actually to truly understand God or develop a connection with God or realize his existence, we have to uh, pray, and he gave examples of how the Holy Prophet Muhammad, may peace and blessings of uh, God be upon him, uh, used to fervently weep and cry, even though he had been uh, prophesied many victories and success and so on. But his his utter humility in prayer, and then I think he 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 mentioned one of the examples of one of the companions who was sort of happened to be in the vicinity at the time overhearing the the heartfelt uh, cries of the Holy Prophet Muhammad uh, and he, he he mentioned it was like a boiling uh, pot of water that sort of sound that it, it makes so he kind of uh, really illustrated it in, in that way and then he also went on to talk about how the promised Messiah uh, on whom be peace also was known to pray in, in, a, in a similar manner I mean, when you, look, you know, talk about the science of prayer, um, if you you know take a step back and think scientifically, how is it possible that you know something that you're doing mentally, a mental exercise, can influence essentially the future? I mean, you're always praying for the future, aren't you? But actually, if you look at what we know about the future, um, there's one thing that we do know that the future is unpredictable. And it's you know it's very apt that he used that uh, quote from Heisenberg, because Heisenberg is the physicist, the father of quantum physics, 
you know, came up with many things, but also the Heisenberg uncertainty principle, you know, the principle that even the position or the momentum of minute particles, you know, the electrons cannot be determined definitively. You know, you, you know, you give one way and you lose other way. So th there is a phenomenon that the future is not determined, you know, and there was a time where there was a feeling, there was a movement that actually maybe things are determined. There was a, you know, the movement of the scientific materialist, you know, that if you know all the laws and then you, you know, if you know the original starting points of, of, of material, then you can predict what's going to happen in the future. But actually, that's been proven false. You know, the future is unknown. Scientifically, we know it's unpredictable. And in my mind, that, you know, allows some sort of intervention to, you know, change that future. You know, at least it, it, that hypothesis is alive. You can't say that that can't be the case. You can't scientifically say that, you know, just some mental exercise, you praying to God over, you know, with heartfelt, you know, emotion over a long period of time. You can't say that cannot influence the future. You might say, I don't believe it will, or it's unlikely, but scientifically that, that you know, that option is certainly, it's valid. He gave a, a another uh, example of, uh, um, of this uh, acceptance of prayer uh, at the time of the promised Messiah, um, where he, uh, the promised Messiah uh, at this time there was a, a person a young person by the name of Abdul Karim who got uh, bitten by uh, a dog with rabies and um, the specialist at the time had just completely given up hope and um, and basically the, the promised Messiah was re requested to pray for him it was almost uh, and the specialist has said this is a gone case this, there's no chance you know, there's no, there's no hope. Yeah, I think those are important examples which uh, inspire us. That are ultimately it is Allah who is all powerful, uh, and omnipotent, and omniscient, and He's an active God who listens and responds. And I think the most important part of that speech was when He said to uh, everyone um, who was listening that we tried and studied the different sciences for years in our degrees and so on. Try the science of prayer. Can we not even spend a short amount of time on trying the science of prayer? And by science, what he meant was an evidence-led approach that we have a hypothesis and we try it and there's a result which verifies that hypothesis. And in this case, as the Holy Quran puts it, the hypothesis, there is a God who listens. And all, that's the key message to each and every one of us that pray with an open heart and say, that's the instrument to detect God. That's wonderful. I think we have to go for a short break, but that's a good way to end. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. In the name of God, the most gracious, ever merciful. Assalamu alaikum. May peace be with you. Welcome back. You're listening to Science Our Live, live from Alton in Hampshire, where we're at, we're at the Ahmadiyya Muslim Association's United Kingdom annual gathering. Uh, in this uh, program, we've been discussing the talk delivered by Dr. Fahim Yunus about the scientific evidence of the existence of God from the uh, Islamic perspective, from the Holy Quran, and we've we've covered a, a number of uh, a number of points uh, about the relationship of uh, science and religion, 
we looked at a few of the examples from the Holy Quran that prophesize scientific discovery which have only come to light in uh, recent years uh, such as um, black holes um, about pairs about the rotation of planets etc and um, we then really his talk concluded on the science of prayer and it's the the best way to actually um, get a true understanding of uh, God Almighty is actually to pray and to cry and beseech and that personal uh, relationship and personal evidence that we will develop is actually the the best form of evidence the one that we get directly ourselves I mean of course the Holy Quran points to the uh, these points but uh, through through praying and crying out to God Almighty uh, we can establish a direct relationship with God and um, I think this was basically the message that he threw out to the the youth and anyone listening that really uh, you can do it you don't have to have any um, uh, special means but you can pray to God and uh, develop that relationship so I think we, we, we leave it there the, this the program would be available on MTA online so you could have an opportunity to listen in yourself at, at a later time I think now we're going to move to the second part of the show where Dr. Nadveed Malik will be uh, taking us um, on a slightly different um, perspective um, we've been looking for yeah, but I'll, I'll hand over to uh, sure. Naveed to, to, to take over sure okay so, so I'll, I'll stra- start in a slightly unorthodox way if I, if I may um, the creation of physics is the shared heritage of all mankind east and west north and south have equally participated in it in the holy book of Islam Allah says thou seest not in the creation of the all merciful any imperfection return thy gaze seest thou any fissure then return thy gaze again and again thy gaze comes back to thee dazzled aweary this in effect is the faith of all physicists the deeper we seek the more is our wonder excited the more is the dazzlement of our gaze these are the words of the late doctor of the salam these are not my words in case someone uh, was confused of course not um, so these are the words of uh, Professor uh, Abdus Salam, the Nobel Prize winning physicist, um, a member of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, um, um, and he gave this speech at the, the Nobel Banquet speech, uh, the Nobel Banquet actually, in 1979, no, no less. Um, so I would like to start that program with that quote because I think that summarizes things. Because I think in many ways that's a strange quote, um, and, um, and, and so on. Um, I would, again, just give a quick shout-out to all the people who are travelling towards us as well. Assalamu alaikum. Peace be on you uh, as well. You're driving through the scenic roads of um, Hampshire and so on, So, um, and hopefully you will enjoy this programme. Um, and this programme is really about can religion inspire scientific discovery? So we're looking at this in, an, in a reverse fashion. So when we read the Holy Quran, and I want to be specific about the Holy Quran in Islam because that's what we're, ex- I dare say, experts in. That's what we practice rather than any other religion. 
Uh, and from our perspective, can this happen? Um, so uh, with our, I'll be discussing this question with our eminent co-panelists um, who have been introduced already, so I'm not going to go into. Uh, they were very humble introductions, but they, you know, um, um, because you know we're humble people in that sense. But it's it's a very good panel to have that discussion with. Um, so, why I personally uh, was really interested in this question is that often when we talk about religion and science, um, and the way they interact, we always fall into this narrative of one validating the other or not, which is a valid narrative and it needs to be discussed. But I feel that one of the most important questions um, seems unaddressed, that actually religion itself, the study of it, the study of the Holy Quran, um, does it in different ways inspire scientific discovery? Does it do that for us in the present? And actually, has that happened in the past? Because um, I think that's the real deal there. And, that's, and also for the people who make arguments against religion, I think this is a very powerful um, if, if we can answer in the positive, yes, it does. It's a powerful negation of arguments against religion. Um, so as practicing scientists and doctors and engineers, um, this is the question which we'll be discussing um, today. Um, the reason I chose that quote was because it's a strange quote, because here is a physicist uh, who's citing a unity of purpose between the goals of unification in, in theoretical physics and Dr. Salam um, was one of the uh, scientists um, who unified um, the electromagnetic interaction with the weak nuclear interaction coming up with the weak, uh, the electroweak theory. Um, um, and and it's, a, it's a foremost physicist talking about his work but he's saying actually I, I share this the, this faith, physicists, whatever the faith that they have in unification is actually the faith which is mentioned in the Holy Quran about beauty and symmetry and about purpose. And the more we look, the more dazzled our gaze um, as well. Um, so um, I, I want to actually discuss, uh, um, I'll open this out rather than me talking for all of the program, which is very, very possible, and I don't want to do that. Um, I want to open that out. I'll repeat that quote, and perhaps uh, it would be good to see if that resonates with the work that you might do um, as well. So, thou seest not in the creation of the all-merciful any imperfection, return thy gaze. Seest thou any fissure, then return thy gaze again and again. Thy gaze comes back to the dazzle the weary. That's the Holy Quran. And he says this, in effect, is the faith of all physicists. The deeper we seek, the more is our wonder excited. The more is the dazzlement of our gaze. Um, does that resonate with, with any, any of us? Well, Jazakallah, Nibit Sahib, for that introduction. And the, your passion begins to inspire us already. So uh, thank you for that. Uh, one thing that I would say is that definitely there is evidence that religion has inspired scientific endeavor, particularly in Islamic history. And without going into specific examples, I would actually want to give you the reference of a professor of history of science based at Harvard. His name was George Sarton. And he passed away about 30, 40 years ago. And he wrote an epic uh, with the name of Introduction to the History of Science. And what he did in that um, work of his was that he had gone through uh, the whole um, 
periods of scientific discovery going back to the BC era, so the before Jesus Christ, may peace be on him era. And for every 50 years of time, he picked up the most um, major contributions to scientific uh, work by whoever that scientist may have been. So from 500 BCE to 300 BCE, of course, this is time before Islam and they were the Greeks and those kind of scientists. But from the time that Islam was founded in the 6th and the 7th century, so from 750 CE in the common era for 700 years, coming up to 1300 CE, except for one period of 50 years, all the rest of the 13 mm. periods in those 700 years were Muslim scientists. And there were people like Jabir and Khwarizmi and Razi and Abul Wafa and Al-Biruni and a lot of these names are familiar to people who study science. And if you try to look into the works of these Muslim scientists, this period generally is referred to as the golden era of Islam, um, then you would find in their writings that they would be talking about their work in relation to their practice of religion, to their study of the Holy Quran, through their spiritual exercise of the worship of one creator, and through their supplication and praying for better understanding of the laws of nature within the fields that they were working in. So this is in itself is a major or a huge Absolutely. evidence that religion has Absolutely. been inspiring Absolutely. scientific work. The, the fact that uh, the, the golden era, that golden age of Islam took place very evidently after the, the sixth century with the advent of the Holy Prophet peace be upon him, that in itself something must be there. So you know, the common factor there is Islam um, um, there which, which, which would cause it. Um, I, I want to actually bring it back to the Holy Quran if I may actually because that's what that's the that's the holy book of Islam that which the Muslims believe that's direct revelation from God and it's at the heart of all of Islamic civilization Islamic endeavors I think uh, and up yeah, till now if we just come in I mean yeah there's something very specific about the teachings of the Holy Quran mm. that inspires science because I mean a, a flip up flip side to the argument could be you could argue that Islam was a period of wealth you know, and there will be people, historians, who would link wealth to scientific progress as well. Um, but if you look at the, I mean, this, I'll, I'll come back to you with another quote. The Quran manifestly acknowledges the role of rationality for the attainment of truth without drawing any separating line between religious or secular truths. Truth is the religion of Islam. Islam is the religion of truth. The truth requires no compulsion for the transmission of its message. The only instrument it needs is rationality. As such, Islam invokes human intellect to investigate the truth of the Quranic teachings with reference to the study of human nature, history and rationality. And th this is a quote from the book Revelation, Rationality, Knowledge and Truth, written by the fourth caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Um, and you know the timing of this is very important. We've mentioned this in the first episode. You know we're going through a period of you know scientific acceleration. This is also the period of the promised Messiah, whose whose advent has come at the same time. You know not by coincidence, but by design. And you know you've, you've quoted Professor Abdus Salam, 
you know, who is an AMD physicist. Um, and, you know, this is all sort of giving you an indication that perhaps we're heading towards another golden era. So, but I think the, 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 that quote, what it's alluding to is that there's something very specific about the Holy Quran. It is, it shares, you know, the, the single common principle with science that it's the pursuit of truth. Because that's what science is. Science is truth. The Holy Quran is about the truth. And, you know, just to finish on this one quote of the Holy Quran, chapter 48, and this is typical of, what, of the many verses. He it is who has sent his messenger with guidance and the religion of truth that he may make it prevail over all other religions. So I think that is, you know, that is the guiding principle of how Holy Quran, in my opinion, has inspired you know, the golden era. Um, Good. Yeah, I just wanted to you come back to the, the opening verse that you referenced uh, that Professor Salam yeah. had mentioned. Uh, it, I just want to read it out again. So just part of it. No incongruity canst thou see in the gracious, canst thou see in the gracious God, then look again, seest thou, I think it, canst thou see the creation of the gracious God, uh, then look again, seest thou any flaw, I look again, and yet again, thy sight will only return unto thee confused and fatigued. I mean, this is essentially a remarkable verse um, by the creator mm. of the heavens and the earth. Yeah. He's challenging us yeah. to study and look and deep, deeply mm. uh, study the creation as far as we can and see if we can find any imperfection. This is what science is, isn't it? We try and understand nature uh, we go down to the atomic level, even subatomic level, to try and see. And God is saying, He's challenging you. How far, how far you go down, quarks, leptons, yeah. there is going to be order. There's not going to be chaos because God has created it in such a way. Yeah. And this is one of many verses where God is telling us to reflect upon nature and study nature and basically do science. And, and, yeah. this is, and this is actually an evidence for the existence of God. God has created this one and he's challenging us to try and find any to and in our own uh, in our own work I mean I, I, I look at materials nanomaterials sometimes mm. and um, I, sometimes we have uh, images which are of uh, atoms atomic layer two-dimensional atomic layers wow. and you can see you can see the beauty you can see the atoms all aligned and um, the order there mm. And and it goes on. It continues. I mean, I'm, I don't go. I'm not a theoretical physicist and looking at uh, subatomic particles, but just at the atomic level, the order that you can see, you can see these graphene layers or these other two-dimensional layers, which are perfectly ordered. Yeah. And it's it's so it's so and amazing that to see. That verse of the Holy Quran really resonates, and and that's what I think a spiritual scientist is really about, really, isn't it? That you study the universe, and then it reminds you of the Holy Quran of God, and it draws you closer. Uh, to go on. Um, I, I just want to just bring, uh, just keep keeping it within the Holy Quran um, as well. And because that's a really rich treasure trove uh, um, about this discussion. Because if you look, um, having done a little bit of reading on this, so the, the first five verses of the Holy Quran, uh, which, which have been revealed, um, we can see the word Ikra, read. We can see the word qalam, pen, allama, teach, twice. There's a massive, massive emphasis on knowledge and learning and teaching. 
There are various verses in the Holy Quran, for example, travel throughout the earth and see how he brings life into being. It's go and seek and look. Behold in the creation of the heavens and the earth and the alternation of night and day, there are indeed signs for men of understanding. Um, and again and again, there's an emphasis on seek knowledge. And I haven't even gotten on to the hadith, which um, absolutely are, uh, th there's so many talking about go seek, seek diverse sources, even if you have to go to China. Uh, and the path of a scholar is the path of the paradise and, and so on. But there is another aspect to it as well, and that's to do with, so there's something about seeking knowledge, but there is an, an emphasis also on observing and reflecting and pondering, um, and which leads on to sciences, essentially, and the science of empiricism and of rationality. So I just did a quick search on our Holy Quran app on Al-Islam, and just searched for the word um, reflect, and it came out 27 times, ponder 21 times. And there are many other words and synonyms which I wasn't able to actually uh, to, to look up. Um, and the, the, the emphasis on rationality um, and pondering is immense. So if I may quote, uh, we've already talked about one of the verses. Uh, if I may quote another verse, um, we sent our messenger with clear signs and scriptures and we sent down to thee the reminder that you may explain to mankind that which has been sent down to them and that they may reflect. It's remarkable, you can't miss it. Holy Quran is saying, don't just accept. Don't accept what you've been taught before by your forefathers. Mm -hmm. Study yourself and look and reflect. And I would imagine right now, if we're really reading the Holy Quran with sincerity and open heart and depth, like Huzur has reminded us to, you, you can't miss this message that we have to be learners, we have to be scholars in various fields at different levels. Not everyone has to have a PhD and so on. But learning, there's, there's no way around it. And isn't this, uh, the verses that you've quoted, a beautiful example of how progressive and how encouraging teaching of the Holy Quran are in terms of uh, encouraging its followers to seek knowledge, to develop in their understanding of nature and thus progress as a human race. And that in itself is very beautiful coming from a religious scripture. So it is yet another example of how science or learning and religion are in harmony with each other. And um, just to give another example, at this Jalsa, the annual convention where we are sitting, our spiritual leader, Hazur, will be giving us, uh, giving the young scholars prizes uh, for both uh, girls and boys, or men and women, for excellence in achievement in the previous year. And that's been a tradition of the Ahmadiyya movement Jalsas, that the Khalifa awards prizes to these scholars who achieved Absolutely. in excellence. Um, and I think uh, another important point to make for us, and I will digress a little bit here, is that um, when we are ourselves looking at, us, at ourselves going to university and our kids when they're learning, I think that spirit of learning has to be there above and beyond career security and so on, because I think that's important. And uh, Huzur has encouraged um, the youth to go into research careers um, and do well, and has, 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 has told us that, and many times, that hold that above sort of your career security, your salary, and your wealth, and, and so on. Allah, Allah will, if you go with it from, 
if you go into it with a spirit of servitude and purpose and serving the Jamaat um, and serving God, then you will be successful. And I think that mindset is really important for us. I think us. that goes against you know, the stereotype of what religions are. Um, you know, a lot of religions are, you know, are pushing the other way or perceived to push the other way to close down, you know, rational thought, to not to go into science. If you look at the sort of uh, evolution movement and the counter movement and, you know, things happening in America where, you know, things are being closed down, even, you know, political parties are getting involved. This is not the case in, in, in the Amdiya Muslim community where you are, it's absolutely the opposite. You are taught to question, to reflect, to learn, and to you know to discover. Yeah. I just wanted to yeah. reference one other verse, which kind of relates to, relates to the ones that you've you've mentioned. Um, this is uh, from Surah Al Imran, uh, in the creations of the heavens and the earth, in the alternation of night and the day. There are indeed signs of uh, for men of understanding, those who remember Allah while standing sitting mm. and lying on their sides and ponder over the creations of heavens and the earth our lord uh, thou hast not created this in vain nay holy art thou save us then from the punishment of the fire and this is interesting i mean this standing sitting and lying on your sides when you think of you know academic research and you know this uh, just academic and study for exams and so on the holy quran we're told just to just to think think about things you don't have to be in a classroom or you know doing a degree or something just think use your brain and learn and try and understand and absolutely we will uh, come back to that we will further this topic and discuss and, and move it further along after a quick break since it was founded in 1889 the Amdiya Muslim community has always promoted education amongst its members with the grace of Allah, the very first Muslim Nobel laureate was an Ahmadi Muslim, Professor Dr. Abdus Salam, an eminent physicist who won the Nobel Prize for physics in 1979. Throughout his life, Professor Salam spoke of how Islam and the Holy Quran in particular was the inspiration and guiding light behind his work. In fact, he used to say that there were around 750 verses in the Holy Quran directly related to science and which enhanced our understanding of nature and the universe. Furthermore, the third caliph of, um, uh, of our community desired for a new dawn of great Muslim scientists and academics to emerge and so within our community he started a tradition of awarding gold medals for academic excellence. Each year, hundreds of Ahmadi Muslim boys and girls uh, are awarded gold medals. Certainly, we believe that access to education is key to breaking the cycle of poverty that has plagued economically weak uh, countries for generation. We learn this from the Holy Prophet of Islam, peace and blessing of Allah be upon him, who urged Muslims to fund the education of vulnerable members of society, such as orphans. He taught that spiritual advancement was intrinsically linked to serving humanity, and so a Muslim 
could not attain the love of God Almighty just through worship and prayer. Rather, the love of God Almighty required Muslims to serve America. Peace be upon you. Um, so uh, we are back at Voice of Islam um, where we're discussing an important question about can religion actually inspire scientific discovery? And up till now we've talked about um, some of our personal experiences but also have looked at the Holy Quran and the numerous, numerous verses where the Holy Quran talks about, um, it emphasizes in fact knowledge um, and also it repeatedly implores us to reflect and ponder uh, uh, um, over the Holy Quran itself and the universe um, and, and beyond. Um, and uh, Asim, uh, we were talking about last time about that particular verse about um, uh, believers sitting on their sides and lying, lying down, uh, thinking about the universe. Um, and I found that the last part of that verse, um, I, I felt really important about uh, where they implore, and it's almost an, a, a, out of compulsion that they had no choice but to say um, to God that you have not created this in vain. Um, do, do you, in your research, you're a researcher uh, in microelectronics, um, you're a senior lecturer, uh, in that as well. In your in your research, do you find that inspires? I know you've talked about this already, but it'd be nice to hear if that inspires you as well. That's interesting. Just before I come on to that, I just yep. wanted to uh, just this this verse particularly about standing, sitting, and lying on your sides. It it reminds me of the the Sir Isaac Newton Newton scene <laughs> where he was lying and pondering, right? I believe yep. in the orchard when the apple dropped on his head. Yes. Uh, so it's just uh, yeah, yeah, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a, yeah. Possibly an apocryphal story, but it's the story nonetheless. But yeah. I, I'm sure he was doing something. Uh, but where absolutely, and, yes. and I think this is important that the importance of deep reflection and thought uh, with humility, that which 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 strikes us uh, when we don't know where that inspiration comes from, ultimately, or when that inspiration will will come. Um, um, and I actually also want to just repeat that because. Um, um, I, I still am um, involved with something called the Ahmadiyya Muslim Research Association, not as much as I was before, very, very minimally at the moment. But um, that research association was founded, uh, I think about 10 years ago or so, under Hazrat Khalifa Tumasi uh, Khamis's guidance. And the present head of the... Present, uh, uh, absolutely. Uh, the current caliph, uh, the head, the spiritual head of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. Um, and one of the main, there, there were several purposes to it, and one of the main purposes was to inspire the youth towards research careers, and, and I cannot emphasize that enough, because more, because one of the targets actually he has set the Ahmadiyya youth and the Ahmadiyya Muslim community is that actually the Nobel Prize should be a minimum, and this was mentioned by Dr. Fahim Yunus as well yesterday. Um, and um, that is, um, so we have obviously the example of um, Dr. Abdus Salam, the Nobel Laureate from our community, but we do not have any other examples. And uh, Dr. Salam did his work, uh, uh, and, or he won the Nobel Prize uh, for his work in 1979, and it's been decades. And, and this is really a push for the youth to actually go into research careers, to work very hard and do well academically, and actually to get into the depths of their subjects and master their subjects, the fundamentals and beyond and go into those careers. 
Um, another example, if I may put uh, there as well, is Hazrat Khalifatul Masi Rabe, I remember, encouraging archaeologists um, um, from our community to go and, and, and look and discover and explore and actually verify some of the uh, verses of the Holy Quran, which Holy Quran talks a lot about archaeology and us learning lessons from the uh, people who have gone before. And Hazrat Khalifatul Masi Rabe, the fourth, uh, was the fourth caliph, uh, the fourth head of our community, really, uh, I remember saying to parents as well that you should support your kids towards that even though some of these careers on the face of it might not seem lucrative or they or secure in, in in the traditional sense but the parents should support and encourage so i think that message to our youth is, is really really important and i wouldn't underestimate that you've got a leader of a religious community mm. you know encouraging positively you know for people to go into science i mean that's a unique thing um you know, I've talked about the book Revelation, Rationality, Knowledge and Truth, written by the spiritual head of a, of a community. If anyone reads that book, and I would encourage you all, if you haven't got it, to buy it and read it, you've got a religious leader talking about philosophy, history, genetics, you know, cosmology, going into great detail. Um, and it's a remarkable thing you know perhaps unique in history you'd have to go back to the golden era or maybe even you know not even the golden era you would find religion a religious leader thinking about pondering using science to you know to enhance his faith and he he described that book as his life work so this wasn't a side issue this was his life work you know it was science a religious leader going in into depth into science because that's what his faith taught. And, I mean, just to go back to your, your, your question about how s the Holy Quran inspires your own research, I mean, the, mm. there's one verse of the Quran I would just like to quote. Yep. Chapter 15, verse 86. We have created the heavens and the earth and whatever lies between the two according to the requirements of tr truth and wisdom. So, and it talks about wisdom. There's wisdom everywhere. It's not just wisdom in the Holy Quran, there's wisdom in science. And this is something that I think all scientists, you know, take on, you know, subconsciously. They expect there to be wisdom in science. That's how they base their hypothesis. You know, and I'll give you an example. I did my own research in gut physiology. You know, very minor piece of work, you know, it'd be too embarrassing to go into the details of it. But you're being too humble. <laughs> but when I, when I was, I actually came up with the hypothesis that I would, based on what I would ex expect, you know, a sphincter to, you know, how, it, how its properties would be. And it was based on it being, you know, highly performing, you know, to be well designed. And I think most scientists do that when they come up with hypotheses. They look at something and they say, look, well, I'd expect it to behave in this well-designed way. And, you know, they don't maybe think back and say, why does it need to be well-designed? And another example would be if you look at the appendix. The, you know, the appendix is a part of the gut which is thought, you know, for, for a long time was thought to be a vestigial organ, something having no purpose. But suddenly scientists are thinking, well, when you look at human physiology, everything's got a purpose. And that's brought forward hypotheses that the appendix actually has a function and there's been you know people have run studies based on it and you know there is now evidence that the appendix has a role in bacterial colonization and regulating the bowel 
So I think scientists, they all buy into the fact that the universe is you know, created according to the requirements of truth and wisdom. And that is stated in the Holy Quran. And you know, that, that's a remarkable thing. And just responding to this comment that you made, Adil Saab, that you don't have to go to the golden era. Here we have the spiritual leader of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community encouraging us to learn and develop scientific interests uh, for the benefit of mankind. Uh, I mean, again, this is a very uh, beautiful reminder. After all, the purpose of the Ahmadiyya movement is to revive the true spirit of Islamic teachings, isn't it? So this is an example how Islam in its original pristine form is being revived by the efforts of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community. So um, I want to later on, perhaps, if we have time, talk a little bit more about the Islamic Golden Age, which Shaquille Saib, you, you, you mentioned. Uh, but actually, I want to get a bit more down to a little bit more nitty gritty of what we're talking about now. So if we are to inspire, and inshallah we will, and the Ahmadiyya Muslim community will be at the forefront of the next Golden Age of Science. But what practical steps should our youth be taking right now? How should they be approaching their own studies, their own um, spiritual well-being? What practical steps would we say they need to start taking now to be able to fulfill Huzu's vision um, of actually uh, the Ahmadiyya Muslim community or members of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community achieving um, within the sciences, and by sciences, I dare say we don't just mean the physical sciences, uh, we can include the social sciences and economics, but us achieving a caliber which is akin to a Nobel Prize. Um, would, would any of you like to kind of offer some advice to our youth, perhaps? <laughs> That's a big question yes. and a very important one. And you are absolutely right that this is uh, one of the points that is in the forefront of uh, Hazur, our spiritual uh, leader. And I think that uh, trying to remember the advice that he's always been offering to our youth is that firstly and foremostly, we have to work on our self-reformation. So as honest and truthful and righteous human beings, I, I remember you uh, read a quote um, about Islam being a religion of truth and truth being the work of nature or something to that effect. That if we follow the truthfulness to a pristine degree, then we can expect to do scientific research that is also constructive. You and I know that scientific research lately has been biased because of vested interest because of the more publications or because of business interest. For example, in my field of pharmaceutical industry, medication are developed when they're likely to make more profit rather than what's going to allay the suffering of the people who are suffering from a disease. Mm. So th this shift has to happen that we don't get um, pushed into the, the, the world of materialism, that our drive for knowledge should not be for a successful career. I think you mentioned this point earlier too. Um, and that we are doing it for the sake of helping mankind and that means for the sake of the creation of our Creator. So our love of God drives our no pursuit of knowledge. And without self-reformation it is going to be difficult to uh, purify our scientific pursuits. Okay. So, so our purity of spirit, are the work which we need to put 
uh, in our own reformation and being close to God is absolutely essential. Um, would anyone else like to? So I just wanted to, before I mention that, I wanted to go yeah. back to one of the points you mentioned. You, of course, you mentioned Professor Salam as achieving the highest pinnacle yep. as an Ahmadi Muslim yep. in yep. science. Yep. But of course, in other fields as well, Ahmadi Muslims have excelled That's and done point. great work. Yep. Um, at the Chaudhry Sufal Khan Sahib in, in the field of law and uh, politics and so on. But yep. yeah, on science, no. uh, you, you point is thing. Coming back to this point about um, success and achieving success, I think I'm drawn back to the address of the current head of the Ahmadi Muslim uh, uh, community, his address at the AMRA conference that you mentioned, the Ahmadi Muslim Research Association in 2019, where he gave specific guidance and he, he and, and also general principles. So he, he said, you need to you need to be ambitious. You need to set yourself a target, without a target or a goal, to excel in your own chosen field. This is this is crucial, um, and you have to work with passion and diligence. Yeah, you can't be just doing a sort of nine to five. You have to work diligently, consistently, regularly. And he told us to try and follow in the footsteps of Professor Abdul Salam. Try and and other great scientists of the the Middle Ages mm. who excelled so look at their lives look at their example how did they how did they work um, for example he gave the example that Professor Salam used to as well as of course his um, his his physics he used to ponder over the Holy Quran and try and get guidance from the Holy Quran inspiration from the Holy Quran which actually inevitably assisted him in his actual physics so the unity yeah. unification that you referred to I mean, th this is one of the themes in the Holy Quran the unity of God the unity of mankind and he was driven by that idea which 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 came across in his, his in his physics um, so but yeah passion diligence uh, goals um, and and looking looking at those who were successful using them as as role models because they achieve success what 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 made them tick? What what was what was? Okay. And I think, yeah. uh, Luisa, just mm, to go back to your point about it's not we're just not just talking about science. We're talking about all fields, yeah. you know, history, archaeology, but also philosophy. You know, and I would draw attention to you know you talk about Muslim, influential Muslims, you know, scholars. Then the greatest one in this era is without, in my opinion, without doubt, the, the promised Messiah, Hazrat Muzulam Ahmed, the founder of the Ahmadiyya community. His works on philosophy, you know, the pinnacle for me is someone who is, whose first language is the English language, just because of the way the books are translated. The philosophy of the teaching of Islam, you know, is a pinnacle work on, on philosophy. You know, the depth that goes into, you know, it certainly inspired me. It's one of the main reasons why I'm still an Amdi Muslim. You, know, you, you look at what proof you need, you know, this is the proof. The proof of the, of the Jamaat is the works of, of the promised Messiah, the Khalifa. And no doubt, I have no doubt that in, when we look back in history, you talk about golden era, this second, the era of Amdiya, it will be herald, heralded by, you know, great thinkers like the promised Messiah um, in, in terms of just your, your when you talk about advice I mean yes. I would, the advice I give to my own children and uh, is the advice that I took from uh, is that you know when you're thinking about a career do something useful 
do something for humanity. You know, bec- you know, you could easily, you know, sometimes you don't have a choice. Sometimes you may choose to do something where you're just, you know, pushing pieces of paper around or doing, you know, doing the equivalent thing electronically. But you know, I, I, I chose to be a doctor because I knew that even in my vocation, I could give something back, and that would also now, you know, obviously applies to any of these fields, and that's a great thing, isn't it? That you, everything is open to the youth. Go into science, go into history, go into archaeology. If you go in with the mindset that you're going to help people and, you know, also buttressed by prayer, which is the cornerstone of any achievement, is the cornerstone of any achievement I've had, every step of the way, it's prayer. Because without that, I, you know, I wouldn't have been crossed the first hurdle. Then, you know, the future is open to our youth. And, and having that higher purpose is absolutely essential, really, isn't it, to, to drive you. Uh, I think otherwise then what distinguishes, uh, you know, the, the, the people who believe in God um, and from those people who, who really don't. Just um, wanted to reiterate, yeah, that is, I mean, the crucial point. And it's interesting because that was kind of the, the way in which we finished the first segment about the this, mm. this science of prayer. And I think crucial to it, we that the, the, above all, we need to seek God's help in whatever we do, and that's the thing that sustains us and, and, and allows us to progress. Yeah. Um, as, as, as a teacher myself, I think um, I, I want to just, just come in a little bit on this as well about practical advice, bits of advice as well, and being inspired by uh, obviously the, the students I teach around me who are a source of great inspiration, but also the Khulafa. So Hazrat Khalifa Masi Sani, so the second caliph of the Ahmadiyya Muslim community, uh, he gave a really specific advice about how you become good leaders and leadership among youth as well, and how do you achieve? First of all, you have to have a higher purpose. Um, in Urdu, there's a term Buland Khayali he uses, so higher purpose. So don't don't have just menial purposes I, I want a mortgage or I, I want that BMW car and so that that's that's just you know rubbish isn't it um so have a higher purpose serving humanity serving the the Khalifa serving God making a difference in the world doesn't matter if you're an engineer you can even be an accountant and you can actually make a massive bit of difference and do good in the world I think that spirit is really important secondly he highlights that you you need to just Take a go to the next layer to achieve that vision. Um, what are your three or four strategic things that you need to achieve? Your, what are your four things goals you need to achieve? And then lastly, what are the means to which 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 are needed to achieve those strategic goals? And really writing it down and making it concrete. And then he says you will it will appear to you that almost by itself things start happening for you. So and he says if you don't take those strategic steps. It's not just um, going for a higher purpose, it's just daydreaming. So being very practical about what you do is really important. Navid, um, can I ask, yeah. we, you, you'll have to give us the reference. So that yeah, we so it's, it's from one of his sermons. Um, and you know, the, all of those are collated, is on al-Islam. I cannot remember exactly what the reference is, uh, but perhaps we can put that on program notes uh, as well. Um, and just as a message to students um, that always have that fire in you first and foremost um, um, that you know you're, you're serving something higher and that will keep you going that's your first thing write to Huzur really really important I don't know if um, when some of you watched uh, one of the excerpts from private secretary 
um, to uh, our, our caliph, where he's talking about how our caliph receiving thousands of letters actually peruses through all of them. And he has awareness of all that is going on. And he, he says, I cannot explain how he gets through the mail so like he does and actually be aware and remember the specific points. So this is like right to Huzur. It makes a difference. It helps you have a personal relationship with Huzur. So that, that will provide you your higher purpose. But then again, work really hard. Like Asim, you were saying, be above and beyond. Don't be nine to five in that sense. And I don't want to put it literally that work long hours. But what we mean by that is do what needs to be done. Um, and, and work hard and seek different sources. Seek the role models around you. And do really well in whatever drives you. Uh, and get the good results. That will open up your doorways. One thing I would also say is don't limit yourself too early. So for example, sometimes people go for degrees and they go for degrees which are relatively narrow. Nothing wrong with that, but sometimes we do that when we don't need to. So we might go into a very finance specific degree where we just close ourselves off. We're actually a physics degree or engineering degree um, would actually keep all your avenues open, but actually open up your mind a little bit more as well. Um, yeah. Just coming back to your point, yeah. I think it's, it's, it's a minor point, but actually it's quite important. I mean, I, I mentioned the nine to five, but I think it's very important to have a balanced approach. Yeah. You work hard, but you also need to make sure you're he living healthy. And we have two doctors here, medical mm. doctors, they'll advise us, you know, and, and, and so on. If you want, to, I mean, talking to uh, the youth who are, who are students, you know, they need to take care of, of, of both. And, you know, have, have a broad, you know, knowledge base as well. Don't be limited mm. to your own, you know, just your your own field of study. Study various things, and you know, Naveed Sabha, you've 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 quoted from um, the second Khalifa of of, of the Amdiya Muslim community. Another example mm. of a giant of this era, this you know this this golden era that has been ushered by the coming of the promised Messiah, and the proof is in the works. You know, it isn't, isn't just you know just platitudes. If you go and read the the works mm. of uh, of the second caliph or, or or any, then you will find all the inspiration you need. Yeah, absolutely. I also want to just bring it back. I know uh, Sh um, Shaquille, you, you wanted to talk about um, a little bit on prayer, the power of prayer, and how that is important. Um, I'm going to put you on the spot if you don't mind. Uh, and feel free to bounce, bounce it back to us uh, if you need to. But um, what does that look like? Uh, so let's say you've, you've, you've got a young person um, who aspires to us doing well. Maybe they're not doing well. Maybe they've had a bad set of results and so on. What does um, calling out to God, what, what would that look like? Yeah, once again, I think you've touched on a very important point. Um, and for and they're just beginning to experience the idea of praying to the Creator and then getting some kind of a positive response from the Creator in terms of the impact on their lives, they, they've yet to learn a lot. And I, I think that uh, a better understanding of what prayer means is crucial to this. Because if I look back into my life, my prayers were weaker and kind of more sketchy until I had listened to the Khulafa explaining what prayer is about, what the Creator is about, and had a, some kind of an internal 
concept of what it may mean and then I became more deeper or more serious into my effort of praying. So I think that learning to understand what prayer may mean and how it may work is very important. And we were talking about in the previous segment of this program about there being a parallel metaphysical spiritual existence besides the physical existence. So keeping that one point in mind and the second point that we see in all the creation that things are not done in a dramatic way. So even though the human species was the intention of the creation of life on earth, but the whole process took about four billion years to get to this stage where a species was formulated with the level of consciousness so that they could contemplate on nature and therefore relate to the creator of nature. So in the same way, the, the prayer functioning is going to go through a process. You cannot expect it to again to be a melodramatic uh, science fiction phenomena. Yeah. So now we can hypothesize based on the guidance that we have available from the Holy Quran and from our spiritual leaders as to how the prayer may work. And one of the things that I understand with my limitations is that when we begin to pray, on one hand we are focusing our psyche to a higher purpose, which is a point that you have emphasized very much. And secondly, we are trying to communicate to the ultimate source of all energies, which is our creator. And if you are putting these two things into harmony, like our psyche tapping into God, then the likelihood of God shifting the mechanisms around us for our success is the mechanism how prayers possibly work. Thank you, Shaquille, for referring to that question. Um, un unfortunately, we, we have to wrap up. I think we can go on for another hours. So uh, just a, a very, very quick summary. We, we discussed about can religion inspire scientific discovery? And uh, we went through specific references to the Quran and also our own experiences. And we offered some very specific advice to our youth, which I hope will be of some use. So um, peace be with you. Fi Allah. As-salamu alaykum wa rahmatullah. As-salamu alaykum.